You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Eugene Robinson, associate editor and columnist here at The Post, and I'm going to start today with a question. Did you know that during World War II, after the D-Day invasion, there was an all-African-American tank unit, the Black Panthers, who fought their way all the way across Europe into Adolf Hitler's Germany? I did not know that, but our guests today are going to change that fact. Uh, I am so happy to welcome my guests. Joining me are um, Academy Award-winning actor Morgan Freeman and Emmy Award-winning director Phil Bertelson. Morgan and Phil, welcome to Washington Post Live. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Robinson. Thank you so much. It's great to have both of you here. I have seen the documentary and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, Morgan, you are the, the executive producer of this uh, of this new film. Um, and, and I believe you say in the trailer that you, you've sort of been chasing the story of the 761st forever, 761st Tank Battalion, the original Black Panthers is the yeah. name of the film. Um, so what did you mean by that, that you've been chasing it forever? Well, I sorry, I was sort of a hyperbolic uh, term. Actually, for close to 25 years, uh, we've been trying to get this project mounted. By project, I mean uh, somehow getting it into um, into the public eye, either by a movie or, in this case, we have we got a documentary, which we finally got done, and uh, now we're headed to turn it into a series. The documentary gives us a taste of it, tells us who and what, uh, but not the nitty-gritty, not the inside, not the, sort of the day-to-day -day life of these men, which is what I really want to do. Uh, pattern it after uh, Band of Brothers, that series, which was so good mm -hmm. uh, for the uh, Airborne. So you, you you know that covers it, but it sounds like you're thinking about further projects on the 761st. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> personally, uh, we think that the best way to do that is with a 10-part TV series. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it shows them moment to moment, day to day, battle to battle. Um, get you mm -hmm. more involved with who the men were, stuff like that. I hope to, I hope you get to do that, Phil. Um, the, this is there actually have been attempts uh, to raise the the existence and the and the exploits of the 761st to 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 public awareness in the past. I think there was a, a previous documentary and and maybe there was a, there was a book. Why is now the time to um, um, to to try again and to do this project? I don't know personally. Um, I think that uh, things happen uh, when they will. Uh, mm -hmm. Time comes for something to happen and it happens then. We've been trying for so long, but it doesn't matter. Nothing good comes easy, as they say. So now that's, now that is the truth. Phil, um, let me ask you the same question. Why, for you, why now this project? Well, for me, why now is the gentleman sitting with me 
and Mr. Freeman. I mean, those earlier attempts did not feature his passion, did not feature his story or his input. And I think, you know, the the influence that he has um, has been able to bring this story to the light of day in, in a manner that previous projects weren't able. So they went unseen for the most part and and unheard. And and so now we hope to um, you know make the most of of the opportunity to tell this little known story about these these war heroes. So uh, let me tell you you both why this is so personal to me. I had a, a great uncle who served with the um, African American 92nd uh, in, Infantry in World War One. Um, my father and all three of his brothers served in the military during World War II. Only one, I think, that I know of went overseas. He was in Italy. My godfather uh, served in World War II in Iran, of all places, um, helping to operate the, the Persian corridor where U.S. arms were shipped to our ally, the Soviet Union. Uh, and my father-in-law was uh, a member of uh, the all-black crew of a Navy ship in the Pacific and left a map tracing his path uh, from San Francisco to Australia, up the chain of islands toward mainland Japan. Um, and so, you know, I know so many other people of, of, of African-Americans of my generation who have that sort of family story, but who haven't seen that represented at all in, uh, in, the, in the media, in the history books. Um, uh, and, and not in the public consciousness. Um, Morgan, you had uncles, I believe, who served in World War II, and, and you learned um, some things that you didn't know about their service in the, in the course of doing the film. Isn't that right? Right. You know, Bill uh, and crew did some incredible research because I had to ask, uh, I had no information on them at all, about them even being in the service, there was no, no record of them. And I remember asking Colin Powell and uh, the Secretary of Defense, then um, Cohen, Bill Cohen, uh, mm -hmm. if they could help me find them. And they found nothing. Nothing. So oh. I think Bill, you know, that crew, they did an incredible job. Turns out that I thought that my one of my uncles, uh, was uh, missing in action in the Pacific. I, I heard that when I was a little kid and went through life thinking, yeah, and I got to find out what happened to him. We find out he wasn't in the Pacific at all. He was in France. Huh. And uh, yeah, he didn't die in battle. He was killed. Like, mm -hmm. Murder. Wow. And, wow. So. Wow. The things I've been I've been re researching a book of family history and sometimes the things you find out are just out of the blue. Uh, so Phil, in in the course of doing that kind of research uh, for this film, what was was there an aha moment? I mean, I know from the experience that when you're reporting a story and you, you you don't quite have it, but you get this one nugget of information or this one interview and you think, okay, now I've got it. What, what was that moment for you? Well, I think it, in large part, you know, I would have to say it started with the reporter, Tresvant Anderson, who was uh, embedded with the battalion, and his story had been left untold. So he had done reporting from behind enemy lines with the 761st, and there was all this detail about 
their valor and their mission that was previously unknown. And it became abundantly clear to us, and, and by that I mean me and the Revelations Entertainment team, that there was a lot more there than meets the eye. And um, so we just kept turning over rocks and um, we found some real surprising answers to questions that hadn't been asked. And, um, you know, fortunately I had, you know, a strong team and my producer, Rachel Fleischer, who was able to really do the digging and uh, uncover the, the artifacts that uh, really fill the story out and made them personal for Morgan um, because it all speaks to this erasure of history in some ways and the fact that you have come from a long line of of veterans yourself eugene and uh, you know is is a, a common theme among african americans in this country and and it's often uh their story that goes untold when you you talk about the american narrative and and who has purchase on its real um triumphs and victories um and and so that's what we set out to do and and um, hopefully we were able to shine a, a little bit of light in this one dark place. Well, I, th I think you I think you really did. You shone a lot of light, a light on it. And the, I mean, one of the fascinating things, of course, is that, you know, the military was uh, segregated, was racially segregated. And, um, and th that's one reason why these stories were sort of ignored and overlooked. And uh, but there was also like an ideological reason um, African Americans weren't supposed to be brave and capable um, and um, and and fearless. Um, they weren't supposed to be suitable for combat. Um, and and Morgan wasn't there some sort of study in 19. 25 or around then that that uh, in which the De defense department concluded that well you know these black folks just uh, really can't fight well yes we don't we can't think fast enough uh that was uh uh Patton's, um, idea that well, we can't think fast enough to to uh, be tank men uh, black people are just are we just a little bit dull in the brain you know, um, yeah, there was some people you could fall on who were, you know, uh, outside the norm, but in the norm, no, couldn't do it. And and that was what they came up with. And I want to ask you a question before we finish, and that's about mm -hmm. your relatives who were on this ship. I never heard of that. And do you know mm -hmm. the name of the ship? Um, I don't have it with me. I, I think um, um, I think my wife has it someplace. He left behind. This is my father-in-law. His name was uh, Edward Rhodes Collins. He left behind um, uh, both a, a a a National Geographic map on which he had drawn the map of where his his ship went uh, during war, and he also left a photograph. Uh, which I think we have in storage now, but it's it's a photograph, a ship's photograph, the entire crew. Um, so they're all assembled for a formal photograph, and um, all black sailors. And uh, on every face, he has sort of, note, or above every face, he has sort of noted the person's nickname. Uh, so it's like this is Boo Boo, and this is Big Money, and this is you know JoJo, and and that's a, it is it is an an amazing uh, artifact of that time. But yes, he was on he was on an all black Navy ship, um, and um, uh, and, and he was so he was fighting um, 
the war, of course, but but African Americans in the Second World War were were fighting another battle. There was a whole battle here on the home home front, and there was this concept of fighting for double victory. And yeah. so, Phil, can, Phil, can you talk about that a little bit? Double victory, what that meant? Yeah. So the double V campaign actually originated in the black press, and it was this idea that you know, rather than live as a half American to go abroad and fight fascism with the thought that your valor, your courage would earn you some citizenship back home that, you know, was lacking. And um, so a lot of men fought with that in mind. And, um, you know, it was arguably the right idea because when you do go and show that courage, come home wounded, um, the, the least you can expect is your country to, to welcome you um, for your heroism. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case for, for black soldiers in, in World War II and the world's previous. But those that came home after World War II said about um, joining the civil rights movement and really pushing forward this notion that second class citizenship was no longer acceptable. Um, we've gone, fought for our country, died for our country, and we have every right to you know, experience the the meaning and depth of its citizenship, and and so it set about um, a desegregation of the military um, post World War II. In fact, we're coming up on 75 years exactly. Just a couple of weeks ago, I participated in a in a um, program here in Washington commemorating the 75th anniversary of uh, Harry Truman's uh, executive order desegregating the military. And of course, that followed World War II, and it also followed a horrific incident in my home state of South Carolina, in which a returning um, black soldier was um, was brutally maimed. You, you covered it in the film, uh, Isaac Woodard. Uh, yes. And, Arnwell, South Carolina, it was just one of the most horrific things, and that helped prompt, help, help get, you know, galvanize attention. It got President Truman's attention, and and ultimately helped push him toward the desegregation order. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting what they what what was done to us, though. I mean, it, um, Morgan, talk about the fact that they that the the training camp for um, uh, the seven sixty first. Um, was apparently deliberately situated in the Deep South, in Louisiana. Tell me about that place and tell me about what that was like um, well, for the soldiers. The, uh, of, of course, they, they, had, you know, they had separate um, uh, facilities, living facilities. Uh, and uh, as I remember reading, particularly in Louisiana, they were down in swamp areas. So you know what you get there, the mosquitoes and stuff. Uh, and, you know, they just, it got second class everything. Mm -hmm. Food, yeah. uh, uh, healthcare, uh, living conditions. Uh, and the main thing about them, however, is that they were there from about 1940, some say 42, I thought I read 43. And anyway, all they did was train, 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 right. train, train, train. Mm -hmm. So when they were mobilized, they were awesomely prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, which is one of the reasons that Patton kept them out in front. 
Oh, that's right. So let's let's get to that. Go ahead. Yeah, I say the ultimate irony of keeping them out of battle meant you overtrained them for battle. So when they got the call, they were better prepared than most. Um, they demonstrated. Right. So that that call ultimately came from um, General George S. Patton. Uh, who needed um, manpower and and firepower in 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 Europe uh, as he was you know, trying to drive uh, into Germany? So, Phil, why don't you just give us a a, a kind of a sense of what what exactly it was the 761st did uh, in 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 their campaign? Well, the primary thing they did was defy expectations. You know, they got called up by Patton's. Um, Third Army, um, due to high attrition, um, this was after Normandy, um, in and around October of 1944, and they stayed at the tip of the spear, as it were, for 183 days. They were a tank battalion that wasn't assigned to any one particular infantry, but moved around, um, and as described as a, as a fire brigade, um, and so they went to these points of conflict. Um, where there was help needed, um, including the Battle of the Bulge, um, the Siegfried Line, which was the, the, the line along the Rhine River that separated, you know, Western Europe from, from Germany. Um, and by the end of it all, they were the furthest east of U.S. Uh, tank units in, in, in the theater of war. They, were, they found themselves in Austria when they heard the war was over. Um, and um, <laughs> even contributed to the liberation of, of concentration camps. So it's an extraordinary story uh, of valor and um, perseverance. Uh, and they, but they have suffered great loss as well. Nearly half of this uh, battalion was lost at battle. Yeah, you know, the, um, uh, I, I smile because you know, they end, end the war in Austria, right, as furthest east of, of anybody. It, when I was growing up, the only sense I had that there were any uh, black soldiers in World War II was the one black POW on Hogan's Heroes, um, Sergeant <laughs> Kinslow. Uh, that, right. was, that was kind of it. Was um, the actor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I've seen the movies, I, you know, Band of Brothers and uh, Saving Private Ryan. I just missed, I guess I missed this scene about the 761st being the furthest advanced of all the tank units uh, in, in the uh, Allied armies. But um, um, they were, they were actually, Morgan, they were actually out there for 183 straight days. It, now, is is that is that insane or just crazy? I mean, that doesn't happen, right? Uh, except it happened to the 761st. And soldiers usually get rotated back for rest and recreation. Um, but, uh, you know, Patton thought, well, okay, so you people wanted to come over here and fight. Well, <laughs> give you all the fight you want. So he did. That was, I think, that was what the driving force. You know. uh, he said, this is the best unit we have. Don't want to mm -hmm. say that, but there it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, we can I mean, they were... that today. Look at your NFL football team. Who's becoming the, the uh, 
leading quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah. Who's the leading players in the NBA? Mm-hmm. Um, did you, you remember about uh, uh, the flying, what are that's called? That, uh, um, the Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, oh uh, the Tuskegee Airmen? Yeah. But what is the what is the movie, Maverick? Oh, Top, Top Gun, Gun Maverick. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Top Gun. Well, Top Gun began uh, after World War II when they put up a contest between all these different uh, uh, fighter groups, Marines, Navy, and uh, the Air Force, and in it were the Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. They were the Top Gun when that contest was over. Really? Wow! Now, see that I didn't know either. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make a make a new action movie about that. Um, uh, you, know, you know, Morgan. Um, one of the one of the moments in the in the film that actually um, really touches me. One of many, um, uh, there are many moments that I I just found personally affecting. But but you sat down with um, uh, Defense Secretary. Lloyd Austin. Um, yeah. You mentioned having known and and you know previous defense secretary secretaries. Um, this was different. Tell me about that. Tell me about that moment for you. Uh, I uh, the one germane question that I asked uh, secretary was, do you ever? You ever think of the fact that you're black? You ever just think of that? You know, like look in the mirror, realize who and where you are and what. And he says every day. Every day. Because he's in a place that historically would never happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there he is and doing the job. So, yeah, and we, we talked about everything. We talked about the seven sixty first, of course, but uh, yeah. all kinds of uh, army history, mm-hmm. and how he came up through the ranks and where from and stuff. He was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. So, yeah, and and look where look where he is now. Uh, exactly, it, it is it is it is uh, amazing. Um, uh, leading, so, leading an armed force that looks a lot like him as well. And uh, so to mm-hmm. be the first black secretary of defense is, is not insignificant. And uh, he's quite a leader. Really yeah. Impressive. Yeah, no, he, is, he is an impressive man. Um, in, in the film, Phil, we, uh, rec- we, we, we meet um, several military veterans who are working very hard to get the 761st, the, the, the recognition uh, and the accolades they deserve. Um, and, you know, they finally got a presidential unit citation, I think, 30 years or more after, uh, after it should have been given. Um, what more is being done? What more needs to be done? We need to make this movie. There, well, you, you, of course, you need to make that 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 eight or eight to ten part uh, uh, TV series, and I, I'm I'm sure that Netflix and Prime are are listening, and um, uh, and and will be happy. 
Um, uh, but in the meantime, uh, what else, shall I ask, uh, Phil, should be done? You know, I you know I would say that there are those, and 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 the 761st had more than its fair share of allies who were looking for them to get their long overdue recognition. Most um, importantly, they themselves, the veterans of the 761st, formed an alliance and pushed, you know, for 30 plus years before they got the presidential unit citation, and then. Um, another 20 years before Reuben Rivers, one of their most heroic, um, who died in battle, um, was able to get his Medal of Honor. So I think it could be said that there are others besides Reuben who probably deserve that medal. Um, there are plenty of Purple Hearts to go around and Silver Stars. Um, I lose track of the number of, of, of wartime commendations, but the most significant ones, the ones that make it into the history books, um, were lacking. And so um, you know, there's still more to be said about the 761st, and hopefully a multi-part series will will help do that. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully I'm gonna I'm gonna binge that. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, in, you know, in the film, we do meet uh, one veteran uh, of the 761st, uh, and uh, it is again, it's one of those moments. He he uh, demonstrates his injuries, the shrapnel that's still in his body um, from injuries he sustained while serving uh, with the unit. Um, uh, tell, Morgan, tell me about that, going into that home and speaking with him and, and, and that family. I think his children are sitting around the table and, yeah, sure. and, yeah. and they say they're learning some of, the, some of this for the first time. Talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, the main thing with with the war veterans is it's almost impossible to go back home and talk about your exploits, your experiences, or, or what you did in combat. It just—I don't know if it's probably if it's a fog of war situation, or it's just that you can't you can't make contact with people who have not experienced it. It's hard to, it must be too hard to express uh, mm -hmm. what you're going through when you're killing and being killed. Yeah. It's such a dire situation. I guess, uh, he, I guess at one point he says, you know, I just didn't want to bring that home, you know, to you, he speaking to his children. He didn't want to. Yeah, want yeah, yeah. To, to burden them. Right. Talked about how long it was before he even started to open up about his experience. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's it's uh it's uh it's heartening, I guess, is the word I want to use, to realize that any of them were still alive and able to discuss this with. I know. Uh, and what happened to him was uh, this was the first contact they had with the enemy, and uh, mm. all that shrapnel came from a uh, um, German bazooka hit his yeah. tank. A bazooka, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and he was he was he was not mortally but gravely wounded. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the thing about. And he was too. he was hidden. In a ditch, covered up with with ferns and gravel, and I mean ferns and dirt and stuff, 
And uh, he survived until they found him again, took him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So that was the end of his war after the first time, after the first contact. Mm -hmm. But Purple Heart. Purple Heart. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We get to see the Purple Heart, and he certainly, he certainly earned it. Um, uh, you know, there will come a day when there are none of them left, <laughs> uh, and that's you know that will be a that will be a sad day. But it, I think we're all fortunate that um, that that day hasn't quite come yet. Um, uh, I want to. Um, I just want to thank you both um, for for first making seven sixty first. Um, uh, 761st Tank Battalion, the original Black Panthers. Let's give the title of the film uh, correctly. Um, and because I think it is just a wonderful um, uh, and necessary and important uh, addition to our, our knowledge about, uh, about our history. And, and, and it, it, it understands that African-American history uh, actually is American history. There is no American history without African yes, American yes, history. That's my mantra. Exactly. There is no black history that worth anything. It's American history. It is American history, and this is a part of American history that that we um, that we know um, less of, much less of than we should. Uh, and I am extremely grateful um, that uh, that that artists like the two of you are, are bringing it to us and bringing it to, to the wider public. So um, uh, thank you for that. And, and especially thank you for joining me on Washington Post Live. Uh, Thanks so much. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. You're a voice in the face I'm very familiar with. So I'm pleased to know you. Well, pleased great to know you too. Thank you so much. And thank you, Morgan, for the opportunity okay. to tell this story. All right. Peace out. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.